Yes. Hey, we are glad that you're all here, and we're going to go ahead and get started. I am going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, thanks for letting us all be out tonight on this night to just come together, and as Jessica said earlier, um, the bottom line is that we are here because of you, and we are interested in friendships, relationships. We ask that you will be the teacher of all of us tonight. I pray specifically that everyone in the room will hear something from you and that when you speak it to that individual heart, they will know it's the living God who speaks and is teaching. We are grateful to get to be here and do this and we just ask that you will... Um, lead us as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Susan, is this being recorded? Doesn't look like it. Well, you know, someone said that even without a microphone it was, but since I don't even know how to download music, I am not, <laughs> I am not the one, so I don't know. I don't know. We are going to get started, and I will tell you that we are missing a panelist who is sick. So um, okay. we have we had one other panelist, and she's homesick and wanted to be here, but we're glad to be here. Let's dive in, and first thing I'm going to do is ask that each one of you would introduce yourselves. And Jessica, if you will start. I'm Jessica Mitchell. Uh, just say anything about it. Tell us what you want us to know. <laughs> oh, what I want you to know. Uh, well, the basics, uh, Jessica Mitchell, I grew up in Kaiser area, so just really far over there. Um, go Celts. Uh, I am on staff at Salem Alliance as the college pastor and am just really passionate about uh, how to do community well and how to uh, just grow deeper with people around us. Quick interruption, that is actually recording. I thought it was an empty microphone stand. That explains why I don't know how to download music. <laughs> Sorry. So, next. Uh, I'm Lori D. Baker, and um, I'm married. I've been going to this church, going to Salem Alliance for 41 years, which is, I, as I mentioned that at a gathering that Kara Brown was um, uh, moderating. And she's, I, I was just been going to this church for 42 years, and she just screamed. She said, that's longer than I've been alive. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I'm a token old person. <laughs> so anyway, married to Al for uh, 44 years, and we have two grown children and four grandchildren. So, And I'm, I have a ministry here, Hearts at Home, for young moms that I'm just blessed to serve in. So. I'm Morgan Tyler. I've been coming to Salmon Lines for 12 years. Um, my husband and I have three kids. We have a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-month-old. Our four-month-old is back here, so <laughs> um, that is my life right now. Three very small kids. Yeah, yeah. And I'm Susan. I have been here at Salem Alliance. 19-ish years, and I've been married 19-ish years, <laughs> and I have three kids who are 10 and a half, 9 and 9, 
and I think that's good. We've introduced ourselves. First question we're all going to answer. One word that comes to mind when you think of friendships. Jessica, go. One thing, the internal processor first. Uh, <laughs> necessary. Mm. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> go. Next one. What trait do you value in a friend? Morgan. Um, well, maybe that was my first answer. I think transparency. Okay. Do you want to go back and oh. change your other one? steal words here. Yeah. We can skip seminars, we can steal words. Oh, what she said. Okay. Lori, that that one trait. Um availability. Mm. I'd say honesty and or directness. Mm. Good. Mm. Good. Good. Next question. Oh, I didn't give mine. <laughs> what trait do I most value in a friend? She gets notes. <laughs> I don't have any answers. I think um, loyal slash intense. Like like a good intense, like focused, locked on. Hmm. Getting a lot of hmm. <laughs> Question. We'll go starting with Lori this time. Oh, when have you found friendships to be the easiest for you? Um, I think when I was young and raising my kids, um, it was a time when we lived on a cul-de-sac. There were 14 homes on the cul-de-sac and not one of those moms on that cul-de-sac worked. This was a long time ago. <laughs> and so we just all hung out together. We raised our kids together. Our kids were in and out of each other's houses, and it was just real easy to do friendship because we were all kind of in the same season of life and kind of in the same mm -hmm. vicinity, neighborhood. And so it was real easy to have lots of friends at that point. Jessica. Uh, I wouldn't say I can think of a time frame, but friendships have been easiest when friends are on the same page and have communicated expectations and different things. and. Uh, that has happened in a variety of different seasons, but um, that's when friendships seem to be the easiest and most life giving yep. too. I'll let you go last this time. I would say, strangely, when I worked full time and just had easy access, whether it was in the next cubicle, in the mm -hmm. office across the hall, wh whatever, it, w it was when I was there where the people were all the time. Yeah, I think uh, similar, uh, just in community, um, we are in a community group with, there's probably 20 consistent couples and 40 kids, five and under, and so we are just doing life together, and things that I struggle with or things that I'm thriving with, uh, I get to do that alongside with people mm. who are also struggling or thriving. Good. Good. 
something you learned about friendship during a season of transition in your life? Well, like what kind of a transition? You tell us. <laughs> well, something I've learned is that true friendships, long-lasting friendships, friendships that are kind of heart friendships, last through transitions. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of friends that have been acquaintances that if I saw them now, it would be fun and great and we would reconnect and things like that, but we have not stayed consistently in touch. There are other women, friends that I haven't seen in a long, long time and we're like sisters. Um, it wouldn't matter. Um, my best friend from high school lives in Eugene. We see them once or twice a year and it's like I see her every day. Um, it, we have that heart connection. So I think for me the transitions have been the true heart friends stay through the transitions. <laughs> Uh, I'd say for me, my biggest transition, uh, I spent some time overseas with YWAM, and so coming back, leaving a very tight-knit community to coming here where most of my best friends lived across the country, um, it, was, it was almost like friendship lived in the paradox of really, really hard, man, should it be this difficult to find somebody that I like and that likes mm -hmm. me too, but at the same time, some of the sweetest, deepest, real, raw friendships, and so... Uh, transition for me it feels like those friendships kind of live on either end um, where mm. you have to do a lot of work for it um, but sometimes God places people out of nowhere you never would have gone out of your way to pick that become some of the closest friends mm. Mm. Um, I think for me it was entering parenthood like and quickly realizing that I can't do it alone mm. um, and when people say it takes a village they are not joking. Um, and part of it was like in scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 when it talks about like our body is being several different parts and taking that to parenthood, like I can only be the hand for my kids and my husband can only be the feet. Like it takes our friends and teachers and coaches to kind of mold our kids and that is not something that people tell you when you're getting ready to have kids, what that really looks like. Um, and so I'm, I'm learning that firsthand, that what a village looks like. Mm -hmm. Good. A, a transitional time that sticks out to me years and years and years ago, I had changed jobs and was really eager for girls my age to come and work there too. And word came that two were going to start on Monday, just recent college graduates. And I felt God prompt me reach out to them and decide right now, no matter what they look like, what their personalities are, no matter who they are, reach out to them. And so that first day they came to work, I invited them over for dinner, and one of them, we celebrate, celebrate our friend anniversary every year in July, and she was just out from Ohio this summer, and it's been like close to 30 years probably. And, and we only lived and worked in that place for like a year and a half or two together. But it was something about, it was a God-prompted thing to go for it. Jessica, you have alluded, and you and I have talked behind the scenes a bit, about your philosophy of 
friendships mm -hmm. and friending. And a couple of things you mentioned to me were how do you pursue community and friendships when you realize it's lacking? And the second thing was having define the relationship talks with other women. Can you talk a bit about those things? Yeah, so a little bit of background. When I did uh, YWAM, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically uh, a mission school where you learn about God and then you go overseas. You are spending 12 hours a day, seven days a week with these people, so naturally you grow really deep. Our debrief speaker said, hey, when you go back home, get into community, this and that. I did everything opposite that he said. I isolated myself. Um, I, I was miserable here. I questioned if even if God was in Salem because I felt so alone. Left overseas again, come back second round and said, I'm not going to do that again. And uh, I knew that it had to be intentional pursuit of community, which sometimes means it's not ideal. Uh, it is better to get plugged into a community that meets 30% of what you need than not at all. And I think that's why um, people don't get plugged in is because they step in and say this only meets 30% of what I wanted, so I'm going to keep searching. And then you realize I've spent four years with 0% community. And so uh, a lot of times it takes that time and before you know it 30% is 50 and 50 is 110 and those people have become some of your closest friends or you've met somebody who introduce you to somebody else who becomes your closest. And so, um, it, honestly, I've been home for five years, and I would say just now I really feel like I have those deep friendships. Um, it was a lot of hardship through it. Um, I had my deep friends from YWAM that lived elsewhere. Um, and one thing I learned is uh, my friendship philosophy is uh, similar to what I teach a lot of the college students in the dating philosophy. Quite honestly, um, you never know until you sit down and have a cup of coffee with them. And so I am huge on have the DTR, the define the relationship with a friend. If you see somebody and you know they have similar interests or even just like this, maybe it's a God prompting to reach out, hey, can we get to know each other, have coffee. You grab coffee one time and you think, oh, let's do it again, and after two, maybe it doesn't happen again, or maybe you keep hanging out and hanging out, and then you realize, okay, we're talking about some shallow stuff, I want to go deeper. That's when you have the DTR, and you say, what is this to you? What do you want in a friendship? Do you see this to be a friendship that can meet those needs? And from there, sometimes it's hard conversations. I've been on the end where I've had to say, well, this is more of a mentor relationship where I'm pouring into you. I've also been on the other end where somebody said, this is more of a mentor relationship where I'm pouring in. But you'll never know till you ask and you communicate your expectations in the process. Good. I, I talked with Jessica a bit about this. One time about 20 years ago, I was at this missions event. <laughs> And I met this girl, and we wound up in this crazy, funny situation. And the end of the day was coming, and I had to either ask for the phone number or never see her again. So I said, I thought we had a lot of fun on our crazy, funny team that we were on. Could I have your phone number? And Nick and I are the godparents of her child now. And that's 20 years later, we do Thanksgiving together. And we met for one day. And I took a risk. It, again, it was that spirit-prompting thing, I guess. Um, <clears throat> Morgan, 
you talked a little bit with me about um, learning about yourself while walking with friends who are in difficulty. Can you describe a bit more about that to us? Yeah, I think when I was talking to Susan, we're, our community group is, I would say, in, in broad the spiritual warfare. Um, just there are marriages hurting, there are kids hurting, there are deaths happening. Um, and it really makes me sit back and think, like, how am I going to support my friends? And, um, and thinking through, like, okay, I want my friends to, like, be able to call me in the middle of the night and know they can count on me. And I went through, like, a whole list of things. Like, I want them to know they can count on me for a meal or all of these things. And, and then I realized, like, I will be the best friend to all of my friends if I'm always pointing them back to Jesus. And, I, and that's, if I'm doing that, then I am being the best friend that I can be. Can you describe a bit, without going into personal mm -hmm. gooey detail or something, can you describe pointing someone to Jesus in a difficult situation? <laughs> um, without naming names. Right. <laughs> Except Jesus. Oh, yeah. You can name his name. It's hard to tell can you come back to that one and I can think of how to sure, sure. story without using names and details and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Lori, mm -hmm. as you and I talked, you talked about when a friendship goes south. Mm -hmm. And you described weathering that well and healthily and not so much. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I had a very dear friend who was, uh, Al, we had a couple friend. My husband and this couple were very, very close friends. We'd been friends for a long, long time. And um, the, this other couple went through a period of time where their marriage was really in rough shape. And I, the people that I care about and the people that I love, I am very all about justice and taking care and protecting and so in my youth and in my naivety and I took her side on everything and it was I, I tried not to s criticize and slam the husband but it was you must protect yourself you must do this you must do he was making poor choices with money and he was not abusive at all but it was like you know, you're going to be in the poorhouse, so you better do this. And it just, we walked together every day. And so it was just every single day we were talking, talking, talking. And what happened is things got resolved in their marriage, and I was the bad person because I had not supported the husband. I had not supported the marriage. I never told her to leave or get divorced or anything like that, but there was still this underlying, he's not not good for you, you know, you've got kids that you need to worry about, blah, 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 blah. And so <clears throat> the friendship kind of stopped, and um, it took many years to get to the point where we could both come back together, and including with the husband, um, and ask for forgiveness from all of us because there was some responsibility on their end as well, the way they handled it. And um, so it was hard to, um, it was hard, you had to say, speak the hard truth. 
and I had to ask for forgiveness and apologize, and they had to do the same, and the friendship was forever changed. Um, the intimacy that we had, the, the closeness and the togetherness and this time that we spent together changed. There was just something that didn't happen. We see each other every now and then by chance. I mean, we've got mutual friends, so we bump into each other. It's very easy. There's no ickiness inside, but it changed the relationship. And so as I matured in my faith and just matured in age, I realized that um, to be a true friend, I have to speak the truth in love, but I need to be careful that I don't dishonor, and maybe that's not even the right word, but it's the word I'm thinking of right now, the other person involved in the situation. And so um, the advice giving and the fixing, I think Heidi was talking about the fixing thing, um, I learned that that's really not the way to go. There's better ways to be friends mm. than to try and fix everyone because I didn't have any great answers and it, it damaged the relationship. So changed the relationship. Damaged it for a while and then changed it. So. Do you have another experience? Yes. That, um, <laughs> in, uh, I'm a bad friend. No. <laughs> no. no it, it, yeah. It, that you could describe yeah. a bit and, and you had grown. I was going to say you had aged. But That's okay. You, you had grown uh -huh. and handled a situation yeah. more proactively. Yes. I was in a situation where I had had a very dear friend for a lot of years and um, it ended up that I was hurt very deeply by some things that she said and did. And I, I'm very, um, I can compartmentalize real easily and I'm not a real emotional person. I'm a real just kind of go along and in the past, when this would have happened, I, I would have just said, that's the way it is, chalk it up, that's who she is, that's a... But I was so wounded by it, I called Susan and I said, please pray. I was just shattered. And um, so I, I went to prayer and um, it was like, you better deal with it now. Don't even go one day, not even one hour, you better do with it, deal with it now. So I called her and I talked with her and was uh, I used the peacemaker principles. I, I lead hearts at home, and we had gone through the heart, the peacemakers situation or the study, and so I kind of didn't want to be a peace faker, which would have been my natural default. Um, and so we just talked it all the way through. And there again, the relationship changed, but we see each other. It's perfectly fine. It's okay. And I felt like the Lord really grew me up to face the hard stuff because I don't like hard stuff. <laughs> I like to avoid hard stuff. And so it was really good for me to be so hurt and to express it in honesty and speak the truth in love to her and say, this is how I felt when you said this and did this. And, and um, it was really, I felt healthy about it at the end, and so did she. So um, it, there was the difference in trying to fix it and trying to stuff it and then trying to deal with it and get it out in the open. And kind of like you said, have the define the relationship talk. Um, it, it kind of was that. And it defined the relationship in a different way than it had been before. But at least it was out on the table. It wasn't something that I was just harboring on the inside and just hiding my hurt. 
um, and we see each other now and it's totally fine. We don't hang out anymore, but it, that's totally fine too. So, yeah. yeah. Jessica, Morgan, anything to weigh in on <coughs> when friendships go south or have difficulties? Um, I think one of the things that I've noticed, especially with our community group, is we stick to scripture and we stick to prayer. And because we are, and my husband and I are the leaders of our community group, and these are all of our best friends, and we're doing a lot of the same life with them. So we don't have uh, experience to give advice, and most of the time we just say, like, we can pray. Like, we can pray with you and for you, and here is what Scripture says about what's going on, and here are resources. Um, and I think part of that is us saying, like, we are... And, and I think that's where I say, like, pointing back to Jesus, because that's the only thing that we can do. Um, we can't fix it. We can't, you know, we just don't have, we're not counselors. We are peer leaders in our community <coughs> group, and it's, um, it is a new season for us. <laughs> but that's wisdom that I didn't have. Uh, truly, you know, that is that's wisdom and that I, I wasn't there when I was your age. <laughs> and that's a perfect picture of pointing them to Jesus too. <laughs> yeah. Jessica? Uh, I think, and by the end of this I'll probably be a broken record, uh, I come back to, man, communicated expectations. And uh, I had a friendship where, uh, and part of it was because it was in the YWAM world in a very close community um, where we just really hit it off and there was a deep, deep vulnerable friendship uh, and when we came home that continued and I said man this is going to be the real deal and a year went by and two and then third year things slowly started to change and started to ask myself what was this a seasonal relationship do I need to be putting more work into it and so first uh, before I even point the finger asking where I'm at am I cutting them off am I withholding uh, and not allowing them into my life and, and there were times where I had to realize, man, I am playing the role in this friendship going south because I, I'm hiding. Like, that's our human nature, right? We, when we don't want to be open and vulnerable and be seen, we hide. And so I had to own up to that and so had to be more honest. And then as time went, it still kind of continued where um, it was kind of a draining, unhealthy relationship where she was at um, just with some uh, depression and different things. And so I had to realize... Where are my boundaries? If my faith is going down with this friendship, um, that's not what friendship's about. And so to have those conversations of like, I'm here, I'm present, this is still a friendship I invest in, but here are my boundaries. I can't be at fault if I don't respond like this to a text message. I can't be at fault for this and that. And so to communicate those boundaries and those expectations um, where you can say, <laughs> hey, my expectations were this, and we've talked about this, and those haven't been met, and vice versa. Um, first, you can look and own it on your own, and then have the conversation about it. And sometimes it does end differently than you expected. Um, but often, God doesn't ask us to completely cut off relationships. Uh, sometimes it goes all the way to, it is an ended friendship, but you still invest in prayer. And that's the beauty I think I would encourage people in, is even when a friendship goes toxic, um, 
it's not like we can't pray. Mm -hmm. uh, prayer will never go toxic. Mm -hmm. And so investing in that relationship through prayer, even if it is from a distance, uh, is a way our heart can still be in it while maintaining healthy boundaries. Good. Something I think all three of you have touched on, mentioning your leading Hearts at Home community group, college ministry. Could you touch a bit on mentoring when you are the mentor? And I, I, I know you've said you're not, but think hard. You can go last because I bet you are. <laughs> but could could you talk a little bit about those friendships that are those healthy mentoring relationships where whether you're older in age or older in experience where you're mentoring for a season someone else you're going to make me go first. No, I'll go first. Oh, okay. If you have an answer, I have go for it. I'm I'm I've got it easy. I have, I, I'm not mentoring these dear women that serve with me, but the Hearts at Home model is we have older women um, that lead small groups of um, young moms, moms of young children. Um, and we meet weekly through the school year, and it's a big job. And I was a small group leader for five years, and then four years ago I took over as the leader leader. And... Um, so I have always had a heart for young moms. Um, I have a daughter and a daughter-in-law who I adore, and I've watched the things that they have walked through and struggled with and um, the way they're raising their children. And, and when I was a very young child, my mom was in a group called Mother's Study. I don't remember anything about it because I was little, but I know she went all the time. And there was always that thing in my mind that these young moms need... A mom <laughs> and some of the women in our group have healthy wonderful moms some of them don't have moms at all or they're far far away um, and so we I meet with these 12 13 leaders every week and it is just a sweet time of being in the word together um, supporting each other going through the lesson together um, praying for each other we pray for each other throughout the week we email each other prayer requests and things and then they go out and serve these young moms and um, the ministry was started about 25 26 years ago and that's a long time to sustain a ministry that's a long long time but it's a necessary thing and we see um, some of the the moms that have come through hearts at home are now leading groups they're leading a bible study lauren ends is you know a speaker she leads some women's summer Bible study and so there's it's kind of a I'm shepherding these 12 leaders 13 leaders and then they go and are mentoring these young moms week after week after week and we do a Bible study or a topical study um, and so it, that and and they are my small group they are my community um, I we're not in a shepherding group currently or a community group now and so these are my girls you know and it's just I look forward to being with them and I miss them when I'm not there so or when they're not there so it's a two-way street um, and I get as much from them as they get from me so good. it's good good 
Yeah, I'd say my mentoring philosophy is built a, a lot around just how Jesus did it, right? He had his 12, he had his 3, he had his 1. Um, and it may not be those exact numbers, but, you know, who's who's the, the circle that you're pouring into? Um, and with that, who, who are kind of the three closest and who's that one? And uh, that does make for, again, those expectation conversations, uh, some interesting dynamics when it's like my job, but then also there's some that naturally fall into closer mentor relationships. And so I've got my three girls uh, that have been pouring into a ton over the last year and a half, and we've had a lot of those DTRs of, hey, what do you think this is? What do you see? Um, here's where I'm at. I'm going to show all my cards. This is what I see in you. This is what I expect from this. Uh, this is what we hope for. Let's live in that. Um, and one of those girls, at the same time, I've had the conversation of, like, I've prayed, and you you are my one, not in a I love you more than these other people, but I'm I'm being obedient. And so to have that conversation of what, what does that look like um, in communicating. And the thing about Jesus, and I don't do this perfectly, is I imagine of his 12, everybody probably felt like they were the one, right? <laughs> uh, he just loves so well. And, and so in mentoring, and what does that look like to be so intentional and so... Um, personal bowl with that person where they can walk away and they're not even questioning like am I the person that's closest to my mentor uh, they just feel loved and their eyes are turned to Jesus and so this idea of how do you communicate those boundaries but also um, love in that way at the same time I've also uh, broken up with these girls <laughs> um, and, and what I mean by that is uh, did intensive mentoring for a year we did a discipleship trip all these things and then I had a DTR with them and said you're shifting into senior kind of leadership mode, um, and the ball is now in your court for this mentor relationship. Before, I'd set alarms for when to set up a one-on-one -on -one with you. I'd do this. Uh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to handhold. This is on you. So you get to decide how close is this mentor relationship. You call me and you are intentional, I'll be there. Um, but now not only is the ball in your court but at the same time who are you mentoring because that's the purpose of discipleship right <laughs> you make a disciple to then make disciples and so being very clear about and maybe it's a year maybe it's five maybe it's ten um, and then it becomes that same thing of there are some mentorship relationships where you walk away and you're like man I do feel like I poured my cup of <laughs> emotional stuff and I need to fill up but there's some where you just walk away with so much life and you're like, I'm, I understand I am teaching them, I understand I'm mentoring them, but it's still this sweet two-way street and I've been on both sides of that with people I mentor and then people who mentor me who have said, I know I'm mentoring you and it's clear, but there's still just this life um, coming from both sides. So a lot of it, again, like I said, I'll be the broken record of communicate expectations and be willing to have those hard conversations of when time is up and when the relationship needs to shift. Good. Um, I think when I think of mentoring, um, something I've always stuck to is like one up, one down, one over. Who's pouring into you? Who are you doing life with? Um, which is your one over and your one down is who are you pouring into? Um, and I and I think you can mix those a little bit for us in the season we're in. My one overs are also my one downs. Um, you know, my one over is our community group who we're doing life with. Um, in that group, I have a group of my people um, who I definitely go a lot deeper with, but in the community group itself, like, they are also our one down. Um, and it's unique for us, you know, having our 
the people that we're mentoring be our peers, um, and we have to just trust that it is Holy Spirit led, and um, and say nothing that we are not sure is from the Bible. And you know, cause with my people, I can I can discuss things. I can say like, hey, what do you think about this? And like, this is what I think about this. Um, mentoring or shepherding a whole group of people, it's. For us, it's a new role. You know, this was a year and a half ago. This was when I got to show up and be mentored in this group, um, and so it's a new, it's a new season for us. And I think part of the mentoring part is just trusting the Holy Spirit um, and trust that He is leading. Um, and I think that is very evident in our group right now. You've said something I'd like to follow up with. You didn't get the 10-year plan from God, you began to go and show up, and then all of a sudden you wound up in leadership. Can you tell us about, <laughs> not that I'm shocked, no, yeah. but can you tell us um, a little bit about yeah. that? We, uh, so our community group is woven. Uh, a year and a half ago, uh, two Octobers ago, our community group leaders, Terry and J.D. Davis, Terry was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer, and they stepped down right away. Um, and you know, a few months later, we, like, or we, as a group, we kept the, the group going and meeting, and, um, and Andrew and I were approached uh, a few times and asked if we'd be interested, and we several times said no. Um, you know, like, these are our friends. If it was any other group, if it was a younger group, if it, you know, anything. Um, and, and we just, we told Travis, like, we need to pray about it for a while, and, um, and, you know, few weeks later we said like okay like we'll do it and um, we totally feel called to it now uh, it's it's still new it's hard you know because you are in a group with your peers mm -hmm. and um, there are people in our group who are older than me who have kids that are older than mine who are been married longer than us um, and yet we're supposed to for <laughs> this group you know of, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, uh, just a little brief Marine Corps principle here. Um, my husband was an officer in the Marine Corps, and at officer candidate school, the whole purpose is to see who can lead peers, because that's the most difficult leadership there is. So, no wonder you feel the the weirdness of it. It's it's an awkward thing. What I would like to add about mentoring, I had the privilege for 20 years to be mentored by a woman who was old enough to be my grandmother, maybe even a little older than that. <laughs> and she poured into me, poured into me, and so often I could feel like on good days I was a big bucket getting all she had to offer, and then on other days I was like a sucking chest wound, you know, taking her for all she was worth. <coughs> But as, as those years progressed, even though she was the older godly person, this thing began to happen with us, and toward the time of her death, um, she, just, she had never married, had never had kids, and she described that she couldn't imagine having a daughter that she would be closer to. And it's that spiritual bond that happens. Um, so I, I would like to put a plug in. 
that as the women of Salem Alliance Church, we can be that for each other. We can pour into each other and mutually encourage each other. I want to make a transition here, and I want to be sure that we don't end on this subject, so I'm going to be watching the clock. But in, in some respects, we've touched on this already, but I wonder, um, have you learned things about friendship during a very difficult personal time? Like, um, what, what things has God taught you? I had a friend who um, also died of ovarian cancer like you're describing, but I remember when she would go to get her chemo and she would always be sitting next to this other woman and the friendship that they forged, and my friend genuinely believed God had her in that chemo room, or whatever you call it, for that time to relate and share Christ with that woman who was there also getting chemo. And I, I think we all have difficult things, and I, I wonder, could any of you speak to that when you've been in a difficult personal time and maybe right during it or even after you learned how God had used you. Oh, used us or used our friends? Used you it, when, when it might be the least likely time you would think, but that somehow in a weird way God used the difficult time. I have... Um, I don't know if this is exactly the right answer. Um, when it is, <laughs> um, when I first got married, you know, everyone talks about the honeymoon stage, and we missed that boat. <laughs> you know, our first like eight months of marriage was arguing all day, all night. You know, go to work, come home, argue, fight. I would pack my bag and I left and I came back because I had more things I needed to say. No, no, bad. But I remember going over to a friend's house and, and you know, saying all these things, you know, about my husband. And of course, I was the perfect one, um, and just and wanting her so badly to agree with me and tell me like, oh yeah, he's totally this and that. And is all she said was. You know, like, well, first she said, well, actually, this is who Andrew is. Like, these are his characters. Like, this is who he is. You know, like, okay, he made a mistake, or you made a mistake, or, or whatever, but, like, this is who he is. This is who Jesus is, and that's what you have to trust. And though, like, she taught me a lot. We talked about it a couple of years later, and, and she did tell me, like, that was huge for her to just, like, Holy Spirit led her in that conversation. Um, and it was just a tangible thing to go back to for her to say, like, this is when the Holy Spirit used me. Mm. Um, but also, I mean, definitely helped me out. I mean, and that's where uh, one of the things that when I think about, like, being pointed back to Jesus, like, I think she did that really well for that's me. Good. That's good. Um, in uh, the word that I used, I started out with it was availability. And um, I... In our <coughs> little neighborhood, we were available to each other, and my very dearest friend on the neighborhood, um, she had uh, children, <laughs> and 
her youngest son, who was my son's very best friend, um, killed two people when he was 16 years old in a gang situation. And um, I was, this is how flighty and shallow I am. I was up in Portland buying furniture for, or shopping for furniture. We had just built a house. And my husband called me and he said, you need to get home. Um, Debbie needs you. And what am I going to do? I, you know, I, I couldn't do anything. What am I going to do, you know? So I drove straight to her house. And, you know, of course, she was a mess. Um, he had just been arrested. And um, we, we just hugged and hugged and hugged and hugged and hugged. And we prayed together and hugged and prayed. And I basically walked through that eight, nine-month period of time while he was in jail. He's 16 years old. He was like my second son. I mean, he was just this precious boy who just got caught up. And he did what he did, you know. And um, so God used me to support her. And I remember her saying over and over and over, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you. And I could so clearly say to her, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're my friend. I love you. You don't owe me anything. Someday I'll pay you back. Someday I'll, I'll do something wonderful for you. And, you know, she would say that for all of these months. We went through the whole trial together, the whole, you know, we waited for the verdict to come in. It was just, it was a hideous time. Um, and um, so that time ends. We're still really close friends, dear friends. We see each other. And um, when six years ago when our uh, granddaughter was born she was born um, not breathing just it was a horrible mess and um, I called several women that I knew would pray Susan Garlinger and um, Paula Newman mm. and it was the middle of the night when she was born and I said just pray Maggie's not she's not breathing at all <laughs> and um, so and I happened to call my friend Debbie and we were out at Silverton Hospital and she just happened to work in the maternity section of um, Silverton Hospital, which that wasn't even computing when I called her. She was just a dear friend. And she came in the middle of the night and just held me. And it, it, it didn't ever feel like payback, but that was her way of blessing me. And so through those hard <coughs> times, that bond was just, it's unbreakable. There's nothing either of us could do that would break that bond because we've walked those hideous, hideous times together. And Maggie's fine. Um, and her kid's going to get out of prison. Um, it's, uh, he, his trial was thrown out after four years. Um, the judge said that the DA at the time had done some terrible things and he was basically going to be set free if he wanted to be set free um, because the trial had been just a mess. And um, I remember sitting in the courtroom and he had become a Christian in jail, which you think, sure, you know, I'm cynical and yeah, 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 they found God. But he really did. And he stood in front of his mom and dad and all of us and the judge and said, no can do. I, I need to plead guilty. I did it. And I, I need to serve my time. And so he is. So, um, so we still are supporting each other um, through that because it hurts every day yeah. that she doesn't have her little boy with her, her baby, her youngest child, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we have used, and, and God uses both of us to encourage each other through the word, through prayer. Um, she'll just text me and say, 
pray, you know, we got a call and blah, 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 whatever it would be, and I can do the same for her. So there's just that real heart connection that won't ever be broken, you know. So. <laughs> Jessica? Uh, with, I, I can't give a ton of detail, but um, a couple years ago, just walked through a really, probably one of the most painful seasons of my life um, with some family stuff, and uh, it was one of those, uh, I can count on my hand the people that knew the situation, just because uh, some of it was totally my story to tell, but my story to tell was telling a bunch of other people a story that was theirs, and so um, one of the deepest painful times of my life where very few people knew what was going on um, and a family member that was close to me they they were actively walking through the pain of it because some of it was decisions they had made um, and so it was this interesting thing of like I'm in deep pain because of this situation but they are at the same time and questioning like how do you face grace in this and um, it was amazing what God would do, and, and I'm a pretty, uh, like, emotions and tears and different things that they, I enjoy when they come, because they don't come often, and um, this season was just like a season of just intense weeping at such a unique time, where I would go and be with this family member, and speak truth, and be like, no emotions there, and God has said, like, this is how he used it, empathy comes out, and this and that, and I would walk out the door and instant tears and show up on my mentor's door just bawling, uh, shaking from the pain that I was walking through. The minute I'd go to my family member, God would keep me composed. And so it was this interesting thing of they couldn't know all the pain I was going through because some of it was because of them, uh, yet God was calling me to be there for them. And so it was this interesting thing of like almost being sandwiched in pain and sandwiched in grace at the same time of like... God was using me to be there for somebody who had messed up, um, but they were thinking they didn't deserve grace, and I wasn't going to let that happen, mm. and was going to speak truth <coughs> while I turn around the corner and fall apart in my mentor's arms, and so it was this interesting thing of, like, God can have you be broken and facing the real emotions of pain, while he also says, hey, and I'm going to use you in that, and have you be composed when you need to be, because uh, this person needs my grace, and then you're going to fall apart. And it's like, ah, that, that season was a really interesting one for me, of like this massive pendulum swing, but um, right, that's what he says, he, he uses us in our weakness. Um, his, his strength actually is better in our weakness, and uh, in that season, definitely saw that for sure. It's good, good. Before our daughter, who is our oldest child, was born, I, we went through seven years of infertility. And during that time, I was here on staff at the church, and an older woman approached me and said, I know someone else who's going through infertility. Would you be willing to meet with her? And I said, no, I don't have that in me. I, I don't have it to give. And so... Lo and behold, through another course of events, I wound up connected to that other person. And what started out as me trying to encourage her, she wound up encouraging me. We both wound up encouraging each other. 
And to this day now, we don't get to see each other very much, but I'm up at five every morning in my, what I call my prayer chair. Some people call it a recliner. <laughs> but I can, I can often text her while I'm up in my quiet time, and she will text back because she's up in her quiet time. And it was because in my own difficulty, even though I turned down the offer to try to help her, God orchestrated that he would bring us together and we would be mutually helpful to each other. So, final question, and I, I wish we had time to take questions from all of you, not that these guys are experts, but they're good, and they would probably have stuff for you. <laughs> But here's a final question for all. How has God used friendships to mold you more into the image of Christ? And you can think about that one for a minute. And then whoever is... Well, I think what Jessica said about the grace piece... Um, that is something that I, I can give real easily as long as I want to give it. But if I feel that somebody's wronged or somebody has hurt somebody that I love or, 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 and like you were saying, here you would give grace to this person and then you would go fall apart. Well, I wouldn't fall apart, but I also wouldn't give them grace. And, and so I would, that would just be the compartmentalizing again where I just won't deal with it. If, if they're suffering, well, they deserve it, you know. And, and, that, and I have grown to the point where I understand the grace of the Lord a bit more, and so I can give it. I still, my, I, I confess my default is, why would they do that, why, you know. But then I can think, I don't know their story. I don't know what's on the inside. I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know. And so I can get to a place where I can give grace and and truly truly believe it um, so I think that's one way and I think the other way is just through difficult situations forcing my hand to be like Jesus that's what I want to do and so some a situation will come up and it'll be like I can be Lori or I can be Jesus alright and it's like, <laughs> alright <laughs> and, and the older I've gotten, the quicker that happens and the easier it becomes. But honestly, it was a, a hard thing for me. Um, it was, it's a process. It's a long process. And um, it, it does get easier, but it's still, you, I have to consciously be in relationship with the Lord. And when something comes up, I have to run to him quickly and say, you know me, you created me, <laughs> my natural <laughs> Response is this, and I know that's not the right thing. So help me to be this. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's it's been life experience more than one thing, mm -hmm. but it's always involved friends. Good. So uh, I think for me realizing, especially those deep intimate friendships, uh, they they can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, I I don't know if you've faced this before, but I've 
many times said the prayer of like, ah, God, I wish you were just like right here. And I, I know he is right here, but like I wish I could touch you and like actually hear very clearly what you're saying and this and that. And what I've learned is he does. And it's through the body of Christ. It's through the community. And um, what the cross is, is, is we hand Jesus all of our mess and everything, and then he speaks who we are in righteousness. And um, our friends can do that. And so one thing I've learned is this idea of taking all my baggage and handing it to a friend and obviously know who those safe friends are. You don't do it to everybody. Um, but when somebody has your baggage, not only can they call it out, um, but they can speak truth into it. And so if I've said, here's a lie that I hear over and over again, we all have those, you know? If I say that right now, you're probably already thinking, oh, that's the one that every time I think I've dealt with it, it comes up over and over and over and over again. I challenge you, like, tell your closest friends that lie and the closer you get with them, they can have those moments of like, what, what's the story you're telling yourself? What's the message? And they already know it, and they can say, here's the truth instead. Uh -huh. okay. And that's what friends are supposed to do, because we can only fight those lies so much. And so this idea of when I hand them the baggage, I also give them um, the open door to speak truth when I can't. Uh -huh. um, and that's why Jesus puts people in our life. Yeah, I, I think very similar to you. Um, just one idea of the, my small group of friends, I think, continue to point me back to Jesus. And with that, I think they have the freedom to do that because I can be transparent with them. I don't have to filter my stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can say all the nitty-gritty, and I can trust that their response is going to be, at the end of the day, like, who is Jesus? Like, and what does Jesus say, and how can we love you in this? Because on a lot of the things, like, it's okay to feel those things. It's okay to have the emotion. Um, and I didn't know that before I had, you know, before, really, I think before joining our community group that it started six years ago, you know, you I had this idea of, like, what well, I can tell my friends most of my things, you know, but there's some things I don't want to tell because... They might not be my friends anymore, and they're not that big of a deal anyway. Um, but my my people, what I call them, um, I I don't have to filter. I don't have to filter anything. And at the end of the day, it's just reminding me who Jesus is and reminding me of the character of Him, um, and kind of just left there. For me, I would say in the past five, six years, I've been part of a small group, just a small group of women, and we've even had some move away and other new ones come. We love each other. We're friends. We don't hang out much on the weekends. We don't do a lot of that kind of stuff. But when we get together for our small group time, it's like we've made a covenant with each other. And because of that covenant and that trust, I can go there and throw up on them. And they can throw up on me with the truth. And then, like somebody said, we follow up with each other. So you can't throw it up one week and then leave and think, well, let's just don't think let's not remember Susan said something about that, they'll bring it up, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I think the, the covenant, the commitment, um, 
is in these recent years what I think um, the Lord is building into me, I guess, in friendships. Anyone else, anything else for the good of the body? I mean, I'm sure I have more thoughts. <laughs> We've got a whole other I, I know. Yeah. I'll get to the next Stick one. around for phase two. Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks. <laughs>